And welcome to a brand new wrestling podcast. I know the world was just waiting for this. It's Fire in the Mountains, the chronological history of Smoky Mountain Wrestling. I am your host, Ricky Wittenberg, and I am joined along with my two tag team partners that does our NASCAR show, the Chicken Pit Special. It is the keyboard warrior, Justin Edgel, and the hot pocket, Andy Waddell. And guys... Uh, I ask you to do this project with me because we're all wrestling fans to some degree, and Andy and I grew up in this area where Smoky Mountain was formed, and Morristown was one county over from where me and Andy grew up, and they ran towns in Johnson City and Knoxville all the time, so Smoky Mountain is our backyard territory, and I've never had a pod, heard a podcast dedicated to that, and I thought it'd be kind of cool. And I knew that we could drag our Yankee buddy in, Justin, because he's not really into Southern wrestling. So I figured we could give him an education and we could have fun doing it all at the same time. So I'll let the guys kind of give their backstory and uh, why they're wrestling fans. And I'll start out with the keyboard warrior himself, Justin Edgel. Yeah, it's uh, it's I'm fired up to start this uh, new adventure. It's always fun. But uh yeah, I am the, kind of the outcast of the three, but that's all right. Kind of fun to be that way, the Yankee. But, yeah, I've been a wrestling fan ever since I can remember, uh, since probably six years old. I, I remember always going to the video store, and I the only thing I ever wanted to get was wrestling, like WrestleMania 1, 2, back then. Um, I remember I actually bought... I, uh, you know, I asked for it for Christmas. It was WrestleMania five uh, tape, and that was one of the best ones. Was Hogan versus Savage. Uh, that's one of my earliest memories. Uh, I've been, you know, within like in the early, I guess I'll say the early to mid nineties. I uh, didn't really watch. I kind of watched casually. It kind of turned into a circus, in my opinion. And then when all the Monday Night, when Stone Cold got his big push and the Monday Night War started, NWO, I started watching again with DX, Rock, all that. I was mainly always a WWE fan over WCW. I watched them both, but I was more of a WWE, or I guess it was WWF at the time. And um, then I I stopped watching after uh, the Cena era started because I hate John Cena. And this will be a continuing theme throughout this whole show, Cena sucks. Well, I, I don't think we'll have a whole lot of Cena to talk about in Smoky Mountain, so at least you might be able to compare some of the wrestlers thank, to him. Thank God. <laughs> Andy Waddell, what, uh, what's your background in wrestling history? Uh, pretty much the same thing. I mean, my great-granddaddy, he's the one that got me watching, but he was one of those people that believed it was 100% real you've seen old clips of the old people sitting there next to the ringside trying to hit somebody with a cane. That was my great granddaddy. And from there, the, you know, the love of wrestling just kind of grew and, you know, probably mine was probably about the same as Justin's, you know, about WrestleMania three was the first real big uh, wrestling memory I had because they're in the pony, you know, they're in that big stadium. Everybody else is riding them little ring carts to the thing. And then Andre the Giant comes up there and then Hogan walks the whole way. And, you know, that that's the first memory that sticks in my head. And, you know, and then he body slammed him and my little six-year-old self was just bouncing off the walls. 
Oh yeah. So, um, <clears throat> my background, I've, I've watched it my whole life. My dad got me into it. Uh, I actually learned to read by having my dad read me the old after mags, the PWIs. And, uh, this is a true story in kindergarten. My teacher thought that I was advanced because on the playground one day, some kid fell and busted their head open. And I ran to the teacher, the kindergarten teacher. And I told her that this kid was bleeding profusely. And she told my mom that I must have been gifted. My mom was like, oh, for the love of God. No, he's a wrestling fan. And he he saw it on NWA because Ric Flair was probably bleeding all over the ring. So then my mom kind of changed her tune on wrestling. She's like, well, I guess he apparently is learning something. So my earliest memories are NWA 85, 86. Um, I was always the NWA fan. My dad was a fan of the bad guys. So I was always the four horsemen fan. I was always against the trend, the Flair and Dusty, Freedom Hall, Bash Tour. Everybody was for Dusty Rhodes. I'm in the second row. Uh, Dusty comes by. Everybody's high-fiving Dusty, and he goes right by me, and I'm wearing a Ric Flair shirt. I throw the four-finger symbol in front of him, and he laughed his ass off. I guess he thought a five-year-old kid just showed me the four-horseman symbol. So That's right. So That's awesome. So I've always been a fan. Of, I was always a fan of the the bad guys growing up, and a big fan of the NWA and Southern style wrestling. I loved Memphis. I loved Jerry Lawler, Continental. I was I grew up with Bill Dundee and Adrian Street, and uh, Andy. Kind of, he knows this. Uh, my dad at one time in the late eighties was a wrestling manager just in this little neck of the woods. Um, nobody that's listening to this show probably would remember him. But he was the Colonel Robert Theodore Cambridge. Um, it's just a small independent outlaw promotion here in East Tennessee, and uh, he had he had fun with that. So we still got some old old videos of him, and it was right before uh, Smoky Mountain started. Basically, it was eighty nine ninety when that when that happened, and then uh, we transitioned into Smoky Mountain era. And I I watched Smoky Mountain the from bell to bell from the start to the finish, and loved it. Uh, was just a big fan of Smoky Mountain all the way through. Watched it every Saturday morning, and it reminded me of the old uh, the old territory system because it, it had started transitioning, and, and Jim Cornette uh, he he kind of brought it back. And then I never really quit watching wrestling. I've I've always watched it a little bit, but I'm still more of a fan of the old stuff. And and now that we have God YouTube and just ways to procure old wrestling and see old wrestling. It's just really awesome to be able to revisit this stuff. And that's why I wanted to do this, uh, this Smoky Mountain series to just have some fun, watch some stuff, uh, reminisce, educate, and, uh, just have fun with it. So that's what, uh, that's what we're going to be doing on this show. So our, uh, what we're going to do real quickly is give a, a brief backstory on the history of Smoky Mountain wrestling. It uh, d- did form in 1991. Jim Cornette, he leaves World Championship Wrestling because he's completely disenfranchised with wrestling uh, the way it is, the way it was in its current context. And that was largely due to his negative relationship with um, <clears throat> Jim Hurd, who was the executive vice president of WCW at the time. And Jim Hurd brings out all these crazy gimmicks, and you all know them, the ding-dongs and all this crap, and then the black scorpion thing. And, and Cornette had just had it. He was He's hot-tempered, and we're going to see that 
that's going to be a recurring theme throughout this entire Smoky Mountain series is his hot temper off the off the stage, off the big stage. You'll, we'll see incidents that he has, and he's always had his uh, – he's set in his ways. But Cornette, he grew up watching Louisville wrestling, and he grew up taking pictures in Memphis, and he came along in Memphis. So he was used to the blood and guts and the hardcore style and the storyline-driven hate, hate-filled feuds. And that's what Cornette – came along with and he went to mid-south with bill watts and uh just probably ever not fearing for his life from the crazy people that he was trying to dodge being the biggest hill manager in that territory and then he bounces to the nwa so well he went to wccw for a while uh world class but he was always with the midnight express and they they were always one of the top teams in the territory uh, he was always the big mouth manager and they prided themselves on having good matches, and then you're starting to get put in matches with teams you don't want to be with and angles that you don't want to be in. So Cornette's fed up. He leaves WCW after Halloween Havoc 1990, and um, he dreams up Smoky Mountain Wrestling. He he says in some of the interviews that I've listened to him that he just caught on to the fact that every time, no matter what was going on, every time the NWA WCW went to uh, like Freedom Hall in Knoxville, the fans was really into it. And uh, he knew, he thought that he could maybe do a territory in this area with the fans that would that still believed in the kayfabe and still wanted good guys to be good guys and bad guys to be bad guys. They wanted to cheer the good guys and hate the bad guys. So Cornette dreams up Smoky Mountain Wrestling. He runs into Rick Rubin. Yeah, that guy. The founder of Def Jam Records, uh, Beastie Boys, LL Cool J, Run DMC, MTV at one time called him the most important producer in the past 20 years. So he gets hooked up with Rick Rubin, who helps bankroll Smoky Mountain. He's got some other partners to begin with, Tim Horner, uh, Sandy Scott, and um, let's see, who else? Uh, Stan Lane. They, they were all in together with Cornette on the front end of Smoky Mountain Wrestling, so he launches Smoky Mountain Wrestling on October the 29th. I believe it was the day. It was the 29th or the 30th. Uh, October the 30th, 1991, in Greenville, South Carolina. And I've heard the story that he got the building rent-free for this pilot taping. I'm not sure exactly how that happened, but he gets a building for free. He gets some talent in. This will These shows that we're going to talk about tonight will not air until February of 1992 but they were actually taped october the 30th 1991 in greenville south carolina so that's kind of the quick and dirty of that um of the backstory of smoky mountain and uh anything you guys want to throw in real quick before we uh jump this off yeah i i I mean to what you said before about the youtube thing i would have had no clue at all if you know smoky mountain even existed until you even told me or it was on youtube i think it's this is obvious and saying this that me being up north i mean it, it was more like wwf fans were up north and then down south was you know nwa memphis wrestling but i did never i never knew about smoky mountain which it's pretty cool you know to see another side of the wrestling because i've always been a fan of it and and jim Cornette. He he was tired of the circus act. 
that, that wrestling was turning into. That's what Vince McMahon was trying to do was, ter- you know, dressing these, these guys up in a costume almost all the time. And he was tired of that crap. And he, yeah. he, he's kind of like Hay- what Heyman did too. Heyman did the same, Paul Heyman did the same thing. But anyway, it's funny. They're diametrically opposite. Paul Heyman and Jim Cornette, a New York guy and a, a Southern guy, but Kentucky they're, the, guy, they're right. the same. But they're actually the same guy. They 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 had same, the same, ideas. same, same ideas, ideas for sure. Just different methodology behind it. But um, I, I will say, just just from what I gather, Heyman may have been a bit more of a liar in the grand scheme of things than Cornette. Uh, I think Cornette basically just told you what the whatever the hell he thought, and you either took it for gospel or not. He didn't care. So, but and Cornette. In the late 80s, I think 86, 80, well, late 80s, mid 80s, 86, 87, uh, managing the Rock and Roll Express. This was, I guess it's probably still 86 because it was uh, Bobby Eaton and Dennis Condry. They go up for a meeting with Vince McMahon to possibly jump ship to the WWF. And I know one of the main things that Cornette talks about in, an, in interviews that was so striking about the WWF is. That they would want it, they were more interested in in knowing where the storyline may go and their angles and who they would be working with, and all Vince could talk about was uh, they make dolls that look just like you, pal. They they make the, we have these dolls, and he said he just didn't get it then. Yeah. Like what? We're bad guys. Why would anybody want to buy our shit? That you know, that kind of thing. But he th- that's one thing I think he does misstep on. <laughs> I, I I didn't care if it's good guys or bad guys. I, when when wrestling figures came out, I wanted them all, but just so I could have the, the wrestler, so they could have matches. But anyway, Cornette knew a long time ago that it was going that direction, and he wanted to do something to change it. So he creates Smoky Mountain Wrestling, and we have this first set of TV taping. So in this first show on this uh, Fire in the Mountain series tonight, we're going to review. This first taping, which was two shows, and then we'll give our end of the show awards. We're not going to break down every match in detail because, honestly, most of these matches were fairly short, and this was their first show. They're trying to find their footing. It's cold turkey. They're setting up brand-new angles. They're not with a hot crowd. Greenville, South Carolina's crowd that night just just wasn't that great. So – we're not going. I think I think they filmed it right in the middle of a, a hospice place. <laughs> Honestly, they were like half asleep, unless you were like in the front front row. That, that'll change in a couple episodes, and well, as we no, go I'm through sure the it series, it, it, when they're back in the the confines of East Tennessee, things things are a little bit different. And then after we get, I don't know, maybe. 16, 18, 20 shows in as they're building storylines and angles. It, it gets really, really hot. So it'll be fun to get to that. But until we get to that, it's important to to go through the beginnings and see how we get there. And that was I wanted that for you also, Justin, just, just so you'll see it from the beginning to the end. And it made sense to do this show from the beginning tapings to to the bitter end. So that's how we're, that's how we're going to go about this. Yeah, it's it's cool. I mean, it's this is all brand new to me, so I'm excited about it. Be and, fun, and it's a refresher for me and Andy. Um, Andy's taking a few more blows to the head than me, so maybe he's forgot a little bit more than me. But uh, he wa- we watched it back in the day. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I've had a few more concussions than you have, sir. But 
Yeah, it, it, watching this again, it it brought back the childhood. And even though you didn't have the dramatic finishers or anything like that, it was great wrestling. You know, even for their first show. So we'll get into that more later, I'm sure. Yeah, and let's uh, let's go ahead without further ado and just jump right into the first show. It's introduced Bob Cottle, good, great announcer, legendary announcer, and Dutch Mantel. That was a good dynamic to start out because Dutch Mantel is one of the funniest guys in the freaking world, and you'll hear it as he's as he does his announcing through these uh, through these opening shows when he's not wrestling, he's announcing. So we go, we, they jump straight into that first match. Uh, probably a good idea to kick off your promotion with Robert Gibson. Uh, Robert Gibson versus Killer Kyle in this first match. And if you wanted to get the crowd out of their seats for the first match, throw in one of the one half of the Rock and Roll Express and in the South where they were just wildly popular in the 80s. And their act kind of did wear thin late in, late in their run in the NWA. But, but Robert Gibson was still a big name. And I, th- I think what a lot of people don't really remember a whole lot when you're just looking at the raw stats, he had been around forever, but he was only 33 years old. He had come off of his uh, run in WCW with uh, Ricky Morton. He had a match at Bash 91 where where him and Morton fought each other, and then they fought some on the Bash Tour. His last match in WCW, August the 23rd, it was him and Dustin Rhodes against uh, Ricky Morton and Terry Taylor. So he jumps to Smoky Mountain, and Ricky Morton will soon follow. But on this opening taping, uh, Morton, I guess he he still was with WCW at the time. So Robert Gibson, Killer Kyle, first match, pretty pretty much a nothing match. Um, but we definitely already, as soon as we go into this first match, Dutch Mantel with one of the Dutchisms of the evening. As he talks about the Rock and Roll Express, he says he says they released a record once that went plywood, sold up to 75 copies in the first three weeks, and it was on the verge of becoming sheetrock. It's it's corny but freaking hilarious. Was a funny. It was my favorite line of the night, no doubt about it. Speaking of Dutch Mantel, man, he he is he he's Zeb Coulter to me. I didn't even know he even did anything before Zeb Coulter. That, that's maybe my ignorance, but. Dude, I mean, he is he is so stinking funny. He hadn't changed well, what, a bit in 25 years. Well, what caught me off guard was, you know, you're used to the entrance music now, and you go back then to the entrance music. Like Killer Kyle, he comes out, it sounds like porn music. He's got a violin case. You're like, what's he got in there, an 18-inch dildo or something? You know, you're waiting <laughs> on you to whip something out and hit Gibson upside the head and straighten that eye out or something. I don't oh, know. Is really? It, I, 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 was, I was hoping for a glorious evening. Oh, we're, my God, the first part of the show, we can't even jump out I of this. I didn't know what the hell that was in that case at first. It didn't even look like that guy is the cheesiest idiot of the whole night. And I'll say that. Well, yeah. well, you'll it's have... like, is he going to pull out a Tommy gun or what, what is in the case? That's what I want to know. And I'm afraid to jump ahead and look at the other tapings. Cause I might find out. Well, just let's just, just as a, uh, spoiler alert, he's going to be with us our entire run of smoky mountain. So you'll have plenty of chances to rail on poor little killer Kyle throughout this. Pl- uh, plenty of fodder. Plenty of fodder. All right, so so the match only goes three minutes. Uh, Gibson wins with an awkward roll up. I he they screwed that spot up a little bit, but it was a roll up. Gibson wins. The fans are happy. I mean, they're, all they're doing in this first match, 
trying to get the fans excited and uh, just getting the Robert Gibson over and introducing a new character in Killer Kyle. So I don't think there's much to add to that. Uh, they jump back out to interview at the Fantastics. It's uh, the, not the Fantastics that we may think of. It's not uh, Bobby Fulton and Tommy Rogers. It's Bobby Fulton and Jackie Fulton. And they're pumping up the main event as Bobby is going to fight Ivan Koloff in the main event uh, at the first taping. And then uh, we jump straight into Commissioner Armstrong, who comes out. And uh, real good idea. Real good idea, guys. And Justin, go ahead before I... I lay on Bob Armstrong and what he means and tell me what the hell you told me last night about Bob Armstrong. <laughs> that he pretty much, he, he's acting, he's trying to act so bad. Like this shit's real yeah. and all that, like calling for fines and that, all that. And I thought it was great. I thought it was actually great in a sense because, you know, I mean, back then 25, it's 23 years ago, 24 people thought it was still real. Oh, and yeah. he, he was still playing it off like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to, you know, find people for doing uh, Ill- illegal shit and all that. He had a really bad outfit, by the way. He had his <laughs> pants jacked up to his rib cage and like a, like a, <laughs> he had, he had a uh, clip on tie. It was great. Yeah. Was but anyway, I, 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 I had no, I had, well, I'm ignorant. I, I was clueless that this guy was a legend down in the South. But yeah, I, I told you last night, just you, you shut your mouth when you're talking about right. Bob <laughs> exactly. Armstrong. When we say Bob Armstrong's name in the dirty South, we bow our heads as we say it. So yes, you put your hand upon your heart and you bow your head and show reverence to the man that is probably two steps below Jesus Christ himself. Yeah, especially in, in East Tennessee at that time. Bob Armstrong, he was fi- he was only 52 years old at this time, so he's not... T- he looked like too, he 90. No, he's not too terribly old. Well, he had a, a pretty bad facial injury in the 70s that almost damn near took his nose off, and he had to have a lot of reconstructive surgeries, and that's why... Bob Armstrong was known as the bullet for a long time, Justin. He was bullet. That's why he's bullet Bob Armstrong, but he, he was right. under a mask for a long time as he was recouping from uh, his nose injury as the bullet. And he's one of the biggest Southern wrestlers, uh, there is. And Justin, I, I guess you probably know, I said he has four sons, the the road dog Jesse James is one of Bob Armstrong's kids. I was I was actually going to ask you about that. Uh, he, there is a ton of Ar- Armstrongs in wrestling, and he it, it, yeah. probably all his kids, I'd imagine. They the, they those they had four, and uh, we'll see uh, we'll see all four in Smoky Mountain. Yes, we will see all of them. I believe as we go along. So so Bob Armstrong's coming out. It's a really good idea what they've done. He's coming out and setting the rules. You have to have consequences in, in wrestling. Jim Cornette realized wrestling was going away from what it was. There's no consequences for anything. Finishers didn't mean much. Over the top didn't mean anything. When you jumped off top rope, it didn't mean anything. So once you start taking some of that stuff away and making it illegal, then when people do the shit, it makes the pop from the crowd, which is, it sounds real elementary, but a lot of people, it's lost. The art of old style wrestling and storytelling is completely lost on a lot of these guys. So the the one thing that they tried to do right out of the gate is say, this shit's real. We want it to be fun. You know, we want you're, we're going to have hard hit matches every week and there are consequences. If you 
go afoul of the rules. So I think it was a good idea to set that up. So coming out, uh, coming out next, we have Brian Lee, primetime Brian Lee against uh, Barry Horowitz. And during this first show, as before we recap the match, as we introduce new characters in Smoky Mountain, I'll try to give a, a brief backstory just in case somebody out there doesn't know who these guys are. I'd imagine pretty much everybody knows who primetime Brian Lee is. He's 25 years old at the time. He started in Continental, late 80s. Uh, he was aligned with the stud stable. I didn't. You don't remember him being the underfaker? No, <laughs> no, not at all. Okay, well, I really didn't. In '94, he was the and fake. That all that? He was. Well, the, I don't know. Yeah, he was the fake Undertaker in 1994 in WWE, WWF, and had the match at SummerSlam with uh, the real Undertaker. And uh, wow, okay, that was him. Okay, that, that's him. And then right. he goes to ECW in 96, uh, has the bulldozer, the killdozer. He's kind of a bodyguard of Raven. I, the, one of the more famous shots in ECW that they used on all their videos was him choke slamming Tommy Dreamer off a scaffold through about 1,800 tables. So that's who Primetime Brian Lee is. about 18 beers. Yeah, probably, probably. So that's who Primetime Brian Lee is. His first opponent is Barry Horowitz, who is – the fun-loving jobber of he's been he's bounced he had bounced around all kinds of territories, but uh, Barry Horowitz, a real good wrestler, formerly known as Jack Hart, uh, wrestled down in um, Florida for a while, quite a while. Uh, wrestled in the WWE as one of their jobbers. He trained Boris Malenko trained him. Uh, he actually won the Florida heavyweight title at one point for Mike Graham. Uh, he had a pretty good run in global coming up the next year, and uh, he was actually their light heavyweight champion eventually. So Barry Horowitz, uh, just jobber fodder pretty much in Smoky Mountain, but a good worker. So it was it was beneficial to have somebody like that in fighting Brian Lee on this first show because as as we'll see, they uh, they're they're going to be pushing Lee as their top baby face uh, down the road. So. Having him come in against Brian Lee in the first show makes Brian, trying to make Brian Lee look better. Uh, some things don't change with Horowitz. Yeah, he, they, they 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 give him the biggest the guy they're giving the push for a championship, and they bring him in there to job for him. Of course, right. I think Horowitz is hilarious. Now, I always thought he was funny. Yeah, the the back pat. I mean, the 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 best way to get yourself over is a complete jobber heel is to act like you never lose. And Barry Horowitz just is just happy to be there. He always. I, think he's ever, I don't think I've ever seen him win. Uh, he, I don't think so. <laughs> he, he won a couple of times, but not not much. Um, it was a decent back and forth. The Lee got to play face in peril a little bit. Just Horowitz worked on top a little bit, but it was an acceptable TV match. I don't really there's that nothing earth shattering about the match. Brian Lee wins as you would expect. Andy, if anything stick out in this match? Not really. Like I say, it it kind of threw me back to uh, maybe a little bit of DDP, you know, with the self high five. You know, I'll do my self backpack. You know, that that, that was kind of funny. But like I say, it was just a match to set up the future of the company, it looked like. All right. Yeah. So Ron Wright comes out after this match in an interview. He's he's wheelchair bound. He's an old cripple. He he asked you know, ever he's playing the pity card. Everybody feels sorry for me. He just needs somebody to help him pay his bills because he needs a hip surgery after all that wrestling he's done. Uh, to just to help make him some money. 
Ron Wright, I don't like in 1992. My dad told me how important he was. I didn't really get it, and I, I eventually got it in Smoky Mountain when when he has some pretty cool angles that comes along. But after being able to go back and just watch some of the crap that's been uploaded from the 70s on Ron Wright, I get it even more now. He was just an ass, and he could get under people's skin. He he was only 52 years old at the time. He's the same age as Bob Armstrong, and he he definitely looked quite a bit older. Um, Ron Wright actually just died this year at the age of 76. He's basically to East Tennessee what Jackie Fargo was to Memphis. Um he had a brother, Don, and, and they they pretty much just ran rough shot over the good guys in the 60s and the 70s. But Ron Wright comes out with this promo, and I'm a poor old cripple, and I don't have any money to pay for my hip surgery, and I'm just trying to find somebody to make me some some talent that I can bring under my wing and make me some money. Perfectly, ex- <laughs> perfectly acceptable promo. You get, I mean, he he lays out exactly what he's trying, what he's there for, and he's trying to draw sympathy. Yeah, that's great. He he was a great uh, heel manager, basically, oh, is yeah. what I what I'm gathering. You know, from seeing him for the first time. Oh yeah, that's. Uh, that's... And I, I I can't wait to see what he does in the you know in the future <laughs> for sure. You will be entertained, Andy. What? No, what I'm you, sure. What did you think about Ron Wright? I mean, what do you make of him? The the thing that kept popping in my head was I'm looking for a wrestler, not a wrestler. I'm looking for a wrestler. I need a wrestler, and I'm like, yes, this is Southern wrestling. Yeah, hillbilly best. stuff. Yes, we need the hillbillies. You know, it, it feeds right into what Cornette goes off on every week about the hillbillies and the rednecks. And it, it automatically turns you against him just to watch. You're waiting on somebody just powerbombing through the wheelchair is what I was looking forward to. Yeah, that you, you'll, you'll get a good payoff on that eventually. Um, Tim Horner and Joe Kazana is the next match in uh, – Tim Horner is one of the principal guys helped involved in forming Smoky Mountain Wrestling. He's from Morristown, Tennessee. Is that uh, the corn ball that came out to Thunder Road? Yeah, that that is because he is uh, quite, uh, okay. quite lightning. Tim Horner. So it, it only makes sense for him to come out to uh, to that song. Cheesy. I disagree, sir. I, he should have came out to George Jones' White Lightning. Okay, well, that's yeah, but the, the, a lot of times, what, more country than Garth Brooks. I'll say, I'll say that he he definitely had yes, he he was. He's thirty two years old at this time. Um, he he basically bounced around. He had decent, limited success in the NWA. He worked in the WWF as a jobber in the late eighties. Uh, he did manage to win the UWF Tag Team Championship with uh, Brad Armstrong as the Lightning Express. Tim Horner. Small wrestler. He's he would if he came along ten years later, he'd have been a good cruiserweight wrestler and perfectly acceptable in WCW. Probably. Um, he had a hell of a drop kick. I'll say that when he hit when he hit Kazana with that drop kick, it was picture perfect in that match. And I didn't really remember a whole lot about the match, but he he landed a good drop kick, and uh, he has that uh, rolling bridge as his finisher. Any um anything stick out in that match besides his music, or uh, uh, I'll say this: this is when uh, Dutch Mantel said he once swam under <laughs> he swam he swam underwater for ten minutes. He didn't say that; <laughs> yeah. it, it was killing me. Uh, Dutch Mantel, so damn funny. The one thing He's so funny. The the one thing about Dutch Mantel is if he is not entertained, 
he will entertain himself. So he just he just sits back there and just whatever he said. And that kind of was sounds like me. Yeah, and that's the beauty of Smoky Mountain back then. And and I know you said something about teleprompter, Justin. They may have done prompters a little bit, but back sure. then mostly they let the guys just pretty much say whatever the shit they wanted to say. And well, well I'm sorry. I, the only the only thing I was I was uh, saying about the teleprompter, I didn't. I don't know if I said it earlier, but fantastics they were horrible readers i mean they read so badly it was so bad that was in your uh that was when we were talking about the show earlier in the week yeah right. yeah we'll get we'll get to that um andy any any uh anything stick out about horner or mr kazana uh no but like you say with dutch and the announcers it reminds me of what you know wwe used to do you know, give them a general idea where you want it to go and then let their personality come out. And with him, you saw that. Because like you say, if the match got boring, he just entertained himself and the fans seemed to love it. So, Oh, yeah. The, the people, he, he, the, they want, he's a bad guy. So in East Tennessee, um, back in that day, he was still booed. But if I would have been an adult back then, without having the attachment that I have to the wrestling. If I, if I was more objective, like my dad was, and just a fan of the, mostly the, the assholes to put it bluntly, <laughs> if, I would have probably heel, been a big, heels, yeah. a big fan of Dutch Mantel because he just didn't care. He, he, he was just a cool dude. So, um, he was, he was just funny. He, he still didn't care when he was with, uh, Jack Swagger. No, he, he, I thought he, he was one of the best characters that WWE had at the time. In my opinion. Oh yeah, he's he, he he was so funny. I mean, he said some crap that you know everybody was afraid to say. I'll, you know, right? He's great. He's awesome. Yeah, I, I like Dutch. So we get done with the uh, match of Horner and Kazana, and Cornette gives his first real big interview of Smoky Mountain. He comes out and he is he has had he has the red ass. Let's say that. <laughs> wrestling is about he's he says right now wrestling's about selling dolls, getting juiced up on steroids, wearing stupid costumes. He reminds us he reminds us that he managed the greatest tag team in wrestling history, the Midnight Express, and he's gonna bring a revolutionary <gasps> tag team to Smoky Mountain to set the standard. That the the promo was freaking awesome. I mean, this was back before we done work shoots and and had kind of shooty promos. That was a shoot, and he was shooting on the, the culture of wrestling in general. And he's right. He was right from where wrestling was generally at that time. He was right, but you will see as the Smoky Mountain goes on because Rick Rubin is kind of a shock guy. We'll have some really interesting characters come up in Smoky Mountain that you'll think, wait a minute, <laughs> what this is the, two and two does not add up here, and it was basically Cornette having to appease Rick Rubin. So you'll see that dynamic play out as we go along, and that's that's pretty funny too. Uh, well, some of the sh- stuff that's going to pop up, um, so to speak. Yeah, I kind of alluded to it before. I mean, that's what he was saying that. That it, it, it turned into a turned into a circus act with the WWF and WCW with all these guys in costumes and right stupid stupid shit like that. I, mean, I already talked about it. Yeah. Oh yeah, because because at this time you got to remember we we was getting like the Red Rooster and uh, I think this might have been just a little bit before Doink the Clown and 
you know, all this, you know, that real wrestling fans thought was stupid, you know, it's like, dang on boys, you know, we want to see them fight, make it look real. At least, you know, let us suspend our disbelief for a couple hours. Hey, this is not a WWF show, but I will defend Matt Bourne and his portrayal of Doink the Clown when it first started. That was Excellent booking as as a bad guy because he was a clown that was an ass and he he played it perfectly and then they they gave him the other crap and the the midget and the the hooker and whatever happened yeah so but this isn't a WWF show so we will move on so Cornette has his interview we're done with that what's that rest in rest in peace oh yes yes may he rest in peace Uh, passed away I guess last year. Or two years. He's, he's passed away in the not-too-distant re- past. So the next up, okay, here's one of the first things you look at and go, wait a minute, Cornette just had this promo that this is not about blah, blah, blah. And we have Paul Miller, who's looks like a pygmy anorexic, against the Black Scorpion, who's a big jacked-up dude. Uh, it may have been Lou Perez. It may have been a guy named Carl um, something. I read it. I, I, I'm not sure. It was Ric Flair. It, <laughs> I don't think this version was Ric Flair. I'm pretty sure this version wasn't Ric Flair, but this whole deal had the Scorpion just beat the crap out of this kid for three or four minutes, and then the kid gets a, a roll-up inside cradle, small package, the one, two, three, upsets a black Scorpion. All of this is is um, Jim Cornette pissing on uh, Jim Hurd. That's all this was. He was making fun of the Black Scorpion gimmick in general. And 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 this Jobbers and Smoky Mountain every once in a while, he wanted it to be portrayed that the, on any given day, something weird can happen and anybody can win. So he had two different agendas there. Uh, nothing match, but uh, what he was trying to get across, he got it across. Andy, anything that you want to add to that? <laughs> not really like I say uh, I, I just found it out I think it was like four out of the first five matches end up in roll-ups and you never saw that back then there was always a you know dramatic finisher and when you come to Smoky Mountain the wind could come out of nowhere and I think that's what part of the appeal was oh yeah yeah no doubt that, well that was kind of what was funny about that match well, I'll talk about it later but is that it was it was a, uh, you know, Scorpion or the the other guy, whoever the hell he was, Paul Miller, he he, he was re- dominating the match, and all of a sudden he, he wanted to roll up, right, just out of nowhere. I mean, that's what it was, it was a clown act by uh, Cornette. So funny, right? Just it great. It was great. The wink nod, the Black Scorpion was crap, so we're going to bury right, the Black right. Scorpion on yeah. our very first show. So, or at least yep. that's the way it. That's in hindsight. That's what had to happen because the black no. scorpion is never to be heard from again in Smoky Mountain. So that we go to a uh, backstage segment next. Brian Lee hits his first interview spot. Ah, uh, Brian Lee. Um, there's a heavyweight tournament. He's clapping for himself. He's trying to get the fans behind him. He Horrible. Pl- he plans on winning the gold. D- Dutch Mantel comes in and he gives him some advice. He basically just comes in and says he wouldn't have done anything that Brian Lee. Brian Lee did. Brian Lee, uh, he tells Dutch off, and Dutch says that some people just can't take constructive criticism. It's great. Dutch Dutch uh, dominated the, the just. Brian Lee had the interview, and then Dutch won it just with two. two Zeb saved his ass. Brian Lee 
for all of what he was, he was not the best interview guy. I'm not um, – we'll see more Brian Lee later, and I know why Cornette did what he did with Lee in the early part of Smoky Mountain because he, he, he wanted Brad Armstrong. He couldn't get Brad Armstrong. He wanted Terry Taylor. He couldn't get Terry Taylor. So he went with Brian Lee to be the, the big baby face. But to me, just to me, Brian Lee is a guy that worked better as a the heel, as a bad guy. And um, he kind of, in a way, just with his um, not being able to connect with fans' personality reminds me a lot of Lex Luger. Lex Luger was always a better bad guy. You stole my thunder, damn it. I no. was going to say <laughs> No, sorry, Justin. I, I did not mean to read your show notes. It's no, no big deal. But it's you're dead on, no doubt about it. Uh, I mean, it's it's just Brian Lee. He's just, oh, uh, he's he's real country. He's got that the fly the flailing mullet going on. He's he's just he's not what I picture to be the face of Smoky Mountain, but Jim Cornette was trying to work with what he had. I mean, he was a very athletic, good-looking, six-foot-five kid that was young and had a lot of upside, but he just he didn't, he couldn't talk. So that definitely had that going against him. So we go straight in after that to our main event of this first show, which was Bobby Fulton, fantastic Bobby Fulton, against the Russian bear Ivan Koloff. And, uh, Bobby Fulton, he had been a member of the Fantastics with uh, Tommy Rogers. And um, as Fulton was uh, – what happened? My computer – okay. Sorry, my computer just didn't really – something's really stupid. He was he's 28 years old. He started wrestling in 1987. No, that's Jackie. No, I was about to say, Bobby had been wrestling a lot longer. He was 31 years old. He had started wrestling when he was 16 years old in 1977. Formed the Fantastics with uh, Tommy Rogers, Mid-South. They feuded with the Midnight Express. The, they feuded in WCCW. They had a really, really cool feud with the Sheep Herders in 1986, which... Bushwhackers? <laughs> the, yeah, the Sheep... Yep, the Bushwhackers. Yes. 1986. The Bushwhackers were a uh, hardcore tag right. team back in the day. But uh, awesome. and then then he had his own big time wrestling promotion in uh, Ohio um, in 1990 for a short time. I don't think I need to introduce Ivan Koloff, the, the not really Russian. Uh, definitely played the Russian real well. He's from Montreal, Quebec, Canada. He was 49 years old, so he's definitely winding his career down. He's former WWF World Champion. I mean, he was the one that beat Bruno that to, to seven years and. He beats Bruno to be the champion, but basically it was just a transitional deal to get the belt on Pedro Morales. But uh, he, this a cool trivia fact about Ivan Koloff. He actually was on this first episode of Smoky Mountain Wrestling, and he was on the very first episode of Eastern Championship Wrestling the next year in 1992, which, as you all know, went on to become ECW. So Ivan Koloff, uh, Bobby Fulton, they're hooking it up first match. It's a good TV main event, I thought. Uh, old school, Fulton maybe just a little bit slower than he had been in the uh, his prime, but he was he still wasn't old, and he could still go. Just it basically what they're doing in this match is trying to have a fun match where they can set up their first real angle, which was to set up the main event for the second show. Um, 
with at the end of the show, Ron Wright, the poor cripple, wills himself down in the wheelchair. He, he looks like he's going to shake Bobby Fulton's hand. Bobby just looks at him like an idiot. Ivan decks him, lays him out. Ivan takes a foreign object, the international object from uh, from Ron Wright, allegedly, and decks Bobby Fulton with it, gets the pin. Jackie comes out, pleads the case, shows the referee. The referee overturns it. Then uh, uh, Ivan's nephew, Vladimir, runs out, and they hang Fulton from the ropes it, and just to have a, a brouhaha at the end of the first show. What um, what do you make of the match, Justin? Yeah, it was a pretty good – it was a, I don't know, kind of boring in, in, in you know, in my opinion. The end was kind of funny because they were acting like they were really – I mean, especially the – especially the uh, – commentators are acting like he was you know was really getting hung off the you know off the ropes or whatever like that with the chain right so it, it was it was an okay match it was funny because they're gonna get a fine a fine quote-unquote right. fine from armstrong so andy uh anything about this match stick out that was one of them things where the after party was better than the party because you know, like I say, when they hung him out there by the chain, that was something that you would probably see in ECW a few years later. And uh, I think it served the purpose for what it was. It wasn't a great match, but it kind of established what direction they were wanting to go in. So it, it served its purpose. Yeah, it did. So that that happened after the match. They have an interview. Uh, Bobby Fulton's going to kick uh, Ron Wright's bootay right out of the chair. That's what this is the interview Justin's uh, talking about, where the Fultons are just not a, especially Bobby there in that both, interview. Both of them are really bad, yeah. but they had two in this this episode. They're so bad. Yeah, and you may actually be talking about the the first interview because in the second interview, Jackie was unable to talk due to being hung with the chain. So, right. So uh, strong. What do you? Okay. So surprises. They're able to read. <laughs> Come on, they're not that bad. The first, so the first show's in the books. Uh-huh. Your opinion. The first show's in the books. Uh, so it's the first ever Smoky Mountain show you ever saw, Justin. What do you make of it? I mean, what do you make of Smoky Mountain wrestling? Well, well at, fir- at first I was like, this is the hokiest shit I've ever seen. I mean, you guys know this. I mean, the, and, I, and, I, and I told myself I had to remember it's like in the early 90s. Bad style. It's an independent circuit, basically, uh, of wrestling. Right. But you know, the more I watch it, you know, it, it's it's enjoyable. You know, it's it's something different than what. Yeah, you know, the product production value obviously is way less than what we see today. But it's it's kind of cool to see how it started. I mean, this is how wrestling started. Stuff like that. Right. So and- it's cool. It's fun. It's fun. It's fun to watch. It really is. And it's going to get much better. So the they're finding sure. they're, they're going to find. I mean, they're finding their footing basically for the first. Like I said, I, I can't remember exactly when it turns the corner, but I mean, it really ramps up. Maybe about eighteen, twenty shows in, and they they have some just fantastic angles, matches, just everything that you wouldn't believe i mean they had some really really cool stuff and i know when you see this stuff for the first time you are going to just shit bricks on some of this stuff that you're going to see so andy what did you think does killer kyle uh win the championship i'm not gonna i'm not gonna go uh 
We uh, can't spoil no spoilers. It for you. No spoilers. Damn it. Damn it. He he uh, he does have gold before it's all over with. I, it, I'm not going to tell you what he wins, but he that has gold. So, that is that is awesome that he wins anything, <laughs> even if he wins a match. <laughs> I, I, he, 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 you may warm up to him eventually, Andy. Um, first show, what do you think? Honestly, I mean, I know I know we're not talking about WWE, so I hate to go back to it, but you see with this they put more entertainment in an hour on their first show than what wwe does now on a three-hour monday night raw you know quick i would totally quick, agree with that yeah you know you had quick interviews quick matches the storytelling was in the ring it, I, I enjoyed it 10 times as much as what i can anything that's out there right now now with that said i don't i can't add a whole lot i thought the first the first show done what exactly what it should have done Hammers home the point that Smoky Mountain is going to be more serious than the other guys. They they set the stage of having the rules that would be enforced. Armstrong being in a prominent role that, because he's beloved by the people in the South. Having Robert Gibson on the first show is a big deal. We're going to go into the second show in this show uh, coming up, and I think we'll we'll be uh, we'll we'll continue to be pleased here. So I was I was happy with this first show in the way. In watch in the watchback, it, it's not going to be anything that blows you away, but they're trying to set a stage. They are painting on a blank canvas, so you've got to start somewhere. It was a good place to start. I thought they had a good show. So with that, our first show in the books, and we're going to take a break and pay some bills and go pee or whatever else we got to do, and we'll be back on the other side with the second part of this first TV taping, Smoky Mountain Wrestling episode two. Fire in the Mountains. We'll be right back. Cock-a-doodle-doo, it's time for chicken. Cock-a-doodle-doo, it's time for a feast. Eat a 90-piece bucket, you can tell. He's been to Clucking Bell. The chicken is a bird with a tiny brain So we assume he doesn't feel any pain We shrink their heads and we breed them fast Six wings, forty breasts, and then they're gassed Cock-a-doodle-doo, we're psychotic crazies Cock-a-doodle-doo, factory farming's insane We denied it all before a stock price fell Clucking Bell. Clucking Bell. If you enjoy it, the chicken didn't die in vain. That's right. Back on Fire in the Mountains here for the Smoky Mountain Park Review 2. Clucking Bell, one of our uh, longtime sponsors. And six wings, 40 breasts, shrunken heads. Hell, it's a new episode of the Kardashians. That's that's Clucking Bell. That's where they go for their entertainment and nutrition now. So, guys, we're back on this other side here for this other part of the Smoky Mountain Review Show. We're going straight into episode number two. Uh, let's see here. First out, um, episode number two is Coddle and uh, Cornette kind of previewing the show. And we get right out of the gate, Tim Fry versus Hollywood Bob Holly. Yeah, that Bob Holly in 1991. From Hollywood, the I don't any think spark any plug. Sparky plug, uh, the um, 
don't think they didn't have him talk because you could damn tell he was from Alabama when he opened his mouth. But uh, good athlete. I mean, I watched it go back and watch it. And I'm like, he's built good. He had a pretty, I mean, he beat this jobber, which he's supposed to do. Looks good. I love the bombs away knee drop. He, he's a rip off of Bret Hart, obviously, though. My God, the uh, if you want to go bad, I mean, if you want to rip somebody off, the pink tights and the sunglasses, I don't, uh, Bret Hart would have been one of the last guys I would have wanted to rip off their outfit in 1991. Hey, that didn't sound right. I don't want to rip any dude's outfit off. Ever. (laughs) Never mind. Yeah, but my God, that glorious mane of hair that he had. (laughs) You know, I I grew up on hardcore Bob Hot, you know, and then this comes out and I'm like, Ricky's lying to me. That ain't, oh my God, that is him. Yeah. And then the few times you heard him during the match, like you said, you 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 could understand he's not from Hollywood. You know, I'm from Hollywood, y'all. Well, no, you're not. No, <laughs> no. They could have ran that as an angle, like a dude that thinks he's from Hollywood, but he's actually from Ter- terrible gimmick. The, well, it really was. It, it was a bad. That's where Rip Rogers needed to be in, right there. The dude that thought he was from Hollywood, but he really wasn't. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to the. <laughs> There's no doubt about. It. That's perfect. You're right. We'll get to the Ripper right, right on down the line. So not not much of a match. Bob Holly, just it's a showcase match for him. The bombs away knee drop for the win. Good, good. I mean, what can you say? Bob Holly just trying to they're just trying to bring him in. And Easy Man is a an established heel character. So well, we go backstage and Ivan Koloff. He's reminding us that he's going to finish off the Fultons with his nephew, Vladimir. And then he reminds us that Vladimir is better than Nikita. Not for the damn it. <laughs> don't do that. You've, you've got the, a guy. The I mean, fucker looks like Nikita, in my opinion. Okay, he might look like Nikita. And to but Vladimir's credit, he's six foot three, no. six two three. He's a big dude. Um, he looks more like La Femme Nikita, okay? He didn't don't look that bad. He he started in 1990. Um, the guy is actually from North Carolina. His real name was Carl Brantley. Okay, Andre the Giant actually discovered this dude because he went to his farm and bought a uh, bull from Mr. Brantley. And uh, Andre asked him, I guess he saw his build and said, hey, have you ever thought about wrestling? And this guy's... So he starts wrestling due to Andre the Giant. He he actually was active all the way until 2000. And uh, now he's back doing farmer, being a farmer, the whole animal husbandry thing. Andy, animal husbandry around here means a little bit different thing than than uh, what the actual meaning is uh, on here, on there. Yeah, but I was kind of wondering about how scared would you be if Andre the Giant walked up to you and said, hey, big guy, you want to wrestle? You know. I, I, that that make a man pucker and run. That's all I'm gonna say about it. Uh, Andre the Giant. Yeah. What What do you mean by that? I, I I would not accuse Andre of being anything but just a damn man because he was seven seven <laughs> foot one, seven foot two. What is that? What his actual height was? He was he was giant. My dad's told me this story about meeting Andre back in the seven. Well, not like a meet and greet that they had back then, but. He he blew through wrestling maybe in Knoxville or ICW something like that, wrestling Ronnie Garvin and he's he got to shake his hand and he said and my dad's not a little dude. Uh, my dad's was six foot three before his back problems, before he had to take have some some 
fusions done. And my dad's a pretty big dude. And he said his, his Andre, he said he looked like a five-year-old, his hand fitting inside of Andre the Giant's hand. He's never saw anybody that big. So just that Andre the Giant discovers Vladimir Koloff was a pretty cool fact that I had no idea about. But, but damn, Ivan, don't tell, don't remind people that Vladimir is like Nikita. You, you, you may want the guy to kind of look like Nikita and people in the back of their head think, hey, he's kind of like Nikita. But this dude's, I'm sorry, Carl, you're better as a, a chicken plucker or whatever you're doing than a wrestler. Um, so he's not Nikita. Uh, Nikita was back in not the mid-80s. He was hardcore jacked up dude and vladimir was a well-built guy but he just he wasn't nikita koloff don't compare him as that's kind yeah, of nikita, nikita was he went against uh nate didn't he rick flair oh yeah he, he, he fought uh flair he he had a real legendary feud with magnum ta over the u.s title best of seven series and then magnum's career gets cut short from the car wreck uh, and they was building magnum up to be the nwa champion it looked like i mean that looked like that's where they was eventually headed and so magnum goes out and then it, it turns nikita babyface to team with dusty Rhodes is in the uh crockett cup the next year so nikita he'd bounced around a while and it would have been better if ivan would have had nikita with him but if he didn't i just don't think that just trying to make a guy don't tell somebody don't tell the people that this guy's better than the other guy when it's painfully obvious the other guy's better than him just don't try to do that well that's like wcw they didn't make you know they didn't just come out and say goldberg's better than austin even though you know you could tell he was pretty much a ripoff but you know they didn't say it they just let him go out there and do his own thing and then it worked out good for him but right yeah so anyway we get done with that segment on uh the little bit of a misstep there Rip Rogers comes out next, and he's fighting Paul Orndorff. Man, this match was fun. Yes. This was a fun match. I, it was good back and forth. I mean, they started this match. They was both going 100 miles an hour. Uh, they they definitely had their working shoes on. Rip Rogers, one of the most underrated guys in wrestling. I, I forgot how much I loved him until I saw this match. And uh, there's a spot toward the end where he starts to try to suplex Orndorff. And Orndorff reverses it into a suplex, and he's going, no, 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 oh, shit, as he goes flying over. And I mean, that's Rip Rogers. If you know, if you've seen Rip Rogers' Twitter or if you've heard Rip Rogers, he drops more F-bombs in the normal conversation than words are spoken in most conversations. He's he's just one of a kind guy, but that was a fun match. I, that's what Smoky Mountain started on. I'm like, I would have never remembered this match. It's It's a nothing match on their second show. But it was fun to watch, and Orndorff was still good uh, and, a, and a good name in the Carolinas, and Rip Rogers was fun to watch. Andy, what do you, what do you make of the of uh, Rip Rogers? Oh, well, this goes back to what wrestling, you know, classic wrestling was about. You had, you know, Orndorff, he was just the, you know, the bruiser just going to run through you, and you had Rip was like the flamboyant one, and you had the two styles clash. And like I say, you had no doubt who was going to win it, but at the same time, it was enjoyable to watch. Oh yeah, it, it was great. And uh, Orndorff, I mean, he was only he was forty two years old when this match happened, so he still had a name, he still had a body. Um, 
he had went into semi-retirement there toward the late 80s with that neck injury, and it, he he left it untreated too long, and he had the problems with his arm, and that's why one arm was more well-built than the other uh, he, with the atrophy in his right arm. So, But he, he still looked the part. He still looked like Mr. Wonderful. He... He was a he was a good Smoky Mountain mainstay in the early days and a, a good wrestler. I mean, one of the toughest SOBs on the planet. I mean, anybody that can go toe to toe with Leon White Vader and just uh, part, you know, there's been different accounts of what happened, but he basically bitch slapped Vader down, knocked knocked him down, and kicked him with his flip flops. And had Vader cowering on the ground. If, uh, and that's when Orndorff, that's several years later, when Orn, when Vader was big, big time Vader, and Orndorff was probably 46, 47 years old by then. And uh, it may be in a lucky punch, but he laid Vader out. And I think that uh, that cemented his legacy as a, as a badass in wrestling history, in my mind. So, yeah, I, um, I, that was my favorite wrestler of the whole night by far was Rip Rogers. There's n- it's not even close. Um, he was funny. Uh, he's a wacko, which, you know, I, I guess it, you know, I guess, it, you know, in the late nineties, early two thousands, that's what was, you know, that, that was accepted, but Orndorff, man, I mean, he kind of took a fall. He, he was an, you know, WrestleMania one main eventer, and all of a sudden he went to Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Kind of weird. Yeah, well, that's the, all. His he had the injury issues that really derailed his career there. And sure. In the late right. '80s, and just for him to bounce back at all, and and to come back and get back in shape like he did, I, he and, and he still could talk. Then he still could work, so it was good that he has back. He had a, another run, so. And sure. actually, I mean, he made it back to WCW as pretty tagged. Well, he started back as a single and then was a tag team with Paul Roma. Pretty wonderful in WCW. So I mean, Orndorff had a – he still had a run in him left. So we go backstage after this match. Um, Nitro <laughs> Danny Davis. Uh, <sighs> I liked Nightmare Danny Davis in Continental. Uh, part Is that of the, the guy that used to be a referee? No, the the Danny Davis you're thinking okay. of in WWF was was a different Danny Davis. Uh, this not this Danny Davis was the guy that's uh, been over Ohio Valley wrestling. It is a different guy. And uh, one half of the Nightmares tag team and Andy, you must want to say something about Nitro Danny Davis. I'm going to explode on you, bang chicken wow. Oh, that was my that was one of my favorite lines of the night. You you push me back, I'm going to explode on you. Yeah, I'm going to explode. Yeah, I, I mean, by, in 1991, that was much more innocent than, than it turned out to be now. So, yeah, I did, I that probably wouldn't get over real well now that I'm going to explode on, on you. Uh, anyway, so we're going to move what? on. What the hell is going on here? Uh, my perverted mind's going off of the tracks here a little bit, Justin, because he's aware and he's like, he's trying to be all serious and... Hey, I'm I'm nitro. If I'm I'm small, I'm compact. But if you push me around too much, I'll explode on you. And I'm like, dang, go on. Well, I mean, he's going for the nitroglycerin thing. It's it's nineteen ninety. The world was much more innocent than it is now. Well, if he's being wearing like a bla- 
Peter been wearing like a black vest with dynamite or something on it, but he's wearing this purple and gold outfit that reminds me more of the junkyard dogs outfit. When it, was a ba- it was a bad, it was a pretty bad look. It was a terrible <laughs> yeah. look. All right. So oh, enough of Danny Davis for episode two, Scott Armstrong and Dutch Mantel comes out next and Mantel just comes out from the rawhide theme. That was awesome. <laughs> uh, oh, hey. Rawhide. So, uh, it wasn't, I mean, there was nothing fun. I mean, it was a fun match. I mean, it's not a five-star classic. It's just, I mean, Armstrong beats him around a little bit, but Cornette gets that, oh, he gets a freaking hilarious line in. He's talking during the match. He said it was um that uh Bob Armstrong and used to walk Scott to school every day. And it was real convenient because they were in the same class. So, I mean, already on episode two, Cornette definitely establishing the fact that he doesn't like the Armstrongs, which will be a running thing all the way through Smoky Mountain Wrestling. So, but I, it was just funny I, that, that Bob and Scott were in the same school at the same time because Bob's stupid. Uh, he, he hates Bob Armstrong. And the whole clip-on tie that Justin mentioned earlier, that was part of the gimmick. That Armstrong... Looked like he had to be an authority figure, but he didn't want to bother with looking like a real authority figure, so he just put on a clip on tie. Bob Armstrong, he could have wore, he could have wore, he could have came out with a bouquet of roses and wore a tutu, and he would have been, he would have been great doing it. That's just a Bob Armstrong. But in this match, Dutch gets beat around a little bit. He gets mad. He's over the, he just gets over. Over the match, about four minutes in, and he just whips the crap out of Scott with the bull whip. Brian Lee comes in for the save. Uh, so that's basically trying to establish one of the first feuds in Smoky Mountain, which would be uh, Brian Lee and Dutch Mantel. Nothing really of this match that I can say promising. All it was doing was setting up a feud, establishing that Cornette don't like the Armstrongs, and setting up a match between Dutch and... Uh, and Scott. So, guys, Justin, any anything about this match stick out? Not really. It, it was pretty weak. I mean, you know, I mean, I, I know it was the main event for the second, you know, the second semi, show or whatever. Semi-main, semi-main. For the TV show or we whatever. We got another but, one. You know, oh, well, whatever. <laughs> I, I, I'm not convinced by Brian Lee at all. He, he's weak. Well, we'll, we'll have, you'll have plenty more eyeballs chances to watch him so andy anything uh anything in this match that you'd like to discuss uh, the only thing i like to discuss about this is uh i miss this kind of storytelling where you know even the weak matches are leading up okay. to something it's not just going to die out you know two weeks later for no apparent reason and another feud starts up, and you're like, "Well, what the hell happened?" But right, you know, it, they're building up something, and I like that kind of storytelling in wrestling. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's it's a match that's just setting up something down the road, and yeah, I, I would agree with that. The, the, story, the storytelling, you know, in Smoky Mountain Wrestling is way better than what they got going on right now, and and that's what's intriguing to me to watch it to see what yeah. happens next. Right. I'm I mean, just it, wanting to know if Brian Lee gets any better. Well, uh, yeah, I doubt it. <laughs> In my opinion. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, that, that's the thing. I mean, in, in WWE, it's almost like watching a silly TV show. 
this back, you know, Smoky Mountain Wrestling, it's like, you know, it, it seems real. Maybe I'm sound like an idiot no, no, saying that, that that's, but, but it's but it's true. I mean, it's like it's, it seems real, right? And real life. That, yeah. that that's what Cornette was going for. I mean, he wanted right. it to look real. Yeah. yeah. If you get your ass whipped with a bull whip, you're going to be mad, and you're right. going to have something to say. About right. It. So and then they, then they they, they name that that idiot's uh, what did they name that bull whip of his? Like uh, Bessie. I, I, I mean, forget. I think he called it Bessie at some some point in his <laughs> something career. Something like that. Yeah. He, he made. Oh. I I don't know. I may I may have missed it in this this episode. So uh, Dutch at the end of the match, he told Brian Lee to stay out of his business, or he's going to whip seventy five <laughs> yeah. pounds off of him. If if he had just had beefcake scissors, he could have cut fifteen pounds off his damn hair. <laughs> hideous beard and mustache and all that shit. Yeah. All right. So backstage after this match, uh, Bob Armstrong he's finding Dutch Mantel. I I didn't write it down. I think he finding five hundred dollars. So, but I mean, hey, nineteen ninety two at five hundred dollars. It it's not like now where they just throw out some random arbitrary number and. We're finding you one million dollars or whatever. It don't matter. Five hundred dollars, especially $500. like a circuit like that. Yeah. five hundred bucks is a lot of money. Right. So it's it's setting up the match between. Uh, he sets up a match between Dutch and Brian Lee at the next show. So we got that to look forward to on our next episode. And Coddle, they have Coddle come in with uh, Wally Yamaguchi. Yeah, Hi. Yamaguchi son. If uh, long time. Uh, all Japan. I think he is in all Japan. Um, he's the same guy that shows up eventually in the WWF. That's going to choppy choppy Val Venus's peepee eventually in the, that uh, unforgettable angle from the Attitude Era. So uh, basically, just tr- they're setting up a thing where they're going to do some talent trades, and you'll have Japanese wrestlers come in, and that actually does happen. So. We come back from that segment and uh, we get the main event. It's the co-offs against the Fantastics. Um, match was okay, not not great, not bad, perfectly acceptable it was TV main event. Terrible, in my opinion. Uh, anything is that bad. It, it just it's an acceptable TV main event. It was a big deal for Jackie Fulton to get a the pin on Ivan Koloff, clean pin. I mean, that's Jackie Fulton pinning a former WWF world champion. I don't care if Ivan's 816 years old. He's still a former WWF world champion, and Jackie Fulton is not exactly a household name in 1992. I don't think he's ever. He never become a household name. He goes. He eventually went to Japan and started wrestling under his, uh, his own name. Uh, he's a mainstay in all Japan after couple of years down the road so uh you, justin you just said you didn't like the match all that much um which yeah it was okay i, I it was okay it wasn't it great was bo- it was boring to me was i boring. mean yeah well the, i think I, part of the okay part of the problem here in my opinion is they're in greenville south carolina they're mm-hmm. uh their first show dead crowd the crowd really a lot of times the crowd's Back in that day, especially when you're in smaller arenas, if they get if they get behind the the face in peril, the guy that's getting his ass whipped, trying sure. to make the hot tag, it it elevates the match. It, and those 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 idiots were just sitting on their hands. They they didn't care. 
And they, sure. they technically went through two TV tapings, and I don't know how long they were sitting there, but uh, maybe they probably, just wore probably out. Probably three or four hours. Who knows? So maybe they just wore out and ready to go home. Yeah, right. And 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 that is that really is part of it, especially in those indie circuits like that. That you know, they're going to get bored like that with that. Well, the front row looked like there was a church choir that just got out. Well, for the show. Sure. Yeah, I would agree. So, Andy, uh, anything you want to add to this uh, this main event match? No, it, I mean it served its purpose, but. Uh, if I'd have had my pick, I'd have put uh, Orndorff and Rogers in the main event, but I see what they were going for. Yeah, yeah. So, so we had a weird, that- a weird, a weird push in the beginning. I'll say that it's a weird push. Well, I mean, you also have to remember this is their first taping, and they just used who they had. I, I'm not sure if Cornette knew who all he was definitely going to have down the road in Smoky Mountains, so oh, he sure. was trying to throw. He knew throwing the Ivan Koloff name and uh, the Bobby Fulton out there that at least was people that could connect to the audience. Uh, in hindsight, just watching the damn show, Rip Rogers and Paul Orndorff was by far, in a way, the best match that we saw. That maybe should have been the main event, but uh, Rip Rogers wasn't really seen as a a guy that was going to – a main event guy, even in Smoky Mountain. Right. So that, that's the problem. So we go backstage this is after the match is over. Um, Cornette's whining a whole lot. I ain't really going to go over his promo. It's more whining than anything. And then, oh, <laughs> then we get the highlight of maybe the entire damn show. Je- Jeff the Drunk showed up. Can you believe that? <laughs> Terry Gordy has one of the more bizarre promos I've ever heard. He must have snorted up freaking Peru before he jumped up <laughs> before he jumped out there because he was on the good shit that night. Oh my God. If you hadn't watched this promo from Terry Gordy, just go watch it. It's it's very short and very bizarre. <laughs> it's, it's just Terry Gordy, um I don't exactly know even what he was trying to get across. Give that clip. Uh not uh, not handy. But but just go watch it. It's on SMW uh, episode two. You can find it on YouTube. Go, it I I don't know what he's trying to get across except the fact that it, he was he was messed up at the time. That's because the bombs are coming, dude. The, the bombs, bombs, the bombs, the bombs are falling from the sky, and it's on. Uh, it was. It was. It was like 1992. Jeff the drunk. Jeff the drunk. Curro. <laughs> uh, no 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 kidding. Oh my God! So yeah, Gordy with this this promo almost end the show, and maybe I can, maybe we can squeeze that on into the show here real quickly. Oh, here we go! Freaking booking on the fly here, folks. Terry Gordy with this um, somewhat You're bizarre promo. Bitch. Here he is. All the wrestling fans around the country know this man, Terry Bam Bam Gordy. Well, Terry. that's right. You know, it's like this. I've been from Freebird Mountain all around the world. I've been from Freebird Mountain to Tokyo, Japan. I've been from Freebird Mountain 
like I said, all around the world, but this is the first time I ever came from Freebird Mountain to the... Where's Freebird Mountain? Right here I am. I'm ready to take... The bombs are starting to fall. Can you hear? Get out! Get out! Get out! Get out! The bombs are starting to fall. <laughs> Bob Collins expression. I'm going to be the one that drops the biggest bomb of all right there in your town, wherever the Smoky Mountain Wrestling goes, and I'll guarantee you this, the skies, the skies over your town is going to be illuminated. <laughs> but, but, was, holy cow, I, that's a classic paranoia of somebody on drugs right there. <laughs> I would like to translate for you for the Mr. Gordy. What he was trying to say was his hometown of Freebird Mountain has the best airport in the world, and he can fly anywhere from said mountain to come and see you and light up your world. Back to you, Ricky. <laughs> Nothing else to say. I, but get, just go out and watch this anyway, because Bob Cottle's facial expressions <laughs> and Terry Gordy's facial expressions. He almost looked scared. Uh, Bob Cottle probably was scared. He, uh, he uh, Terry Gordy was a big man. And a big man messed up that bad, you don't know what's going to happen. So, so uh, to, we end the first freaking taping of Smoky Mountain with the most bizarre promo you'll ever see. That was, or one of them. It, I, I don't remember that from back in the day. And I'm watching it the other night, and I was like, this is just the greatest shit I've ever seen. So... Please go watch uh, that, if nothing else. Watch the Terry Gordy promo. I know you just heard it, but just the audio don't do it justice. Because no. Bob Connell is legitimately afraid. <laughs> he is looking for security as Terry Gordy speaks. <laughs> uh, Gordy is dropping down because the bombs was coming and Bob was about to run. Uh, he was he was cutting tail. <laughs> it was Oh, God, it was funny. So, if he had a wireless microphone, he was gone. <laughs> yeah, too bad they didn't have those back then because he would have hightailed it on out of there. So we're out. We're done with our second show. Um, so second show recap, real quick, guys. Uh, I mean, still technically the same taping, but it, the this second show has now aired. And uh, any different feelings from the first show to the second show? You like what you saw a little better on the second show, or you just happy all around? No, it's about the same, in my opinion. I mean, it's it's fun to watch. Uh, I will say this: Rip Rogers was on there, so he's hilarious. Mm-hmm. Absolute best best performer they got. Hopefully, we see you know some some more of him. So right, yeah. Andy. Uh, for, for thoughts of this second episode. It's what wrestling should be. It's like a you know a summer blockbuster, a popcorn movie. You're not looking for an Emmy award winning thing. You just want something to entertain you for an hour, and it it serves its purpose and does a good job about it. Yeah, and then it leaves you wanting more when you see that Terry Gordy promo. You're like, <laughs> oh my god, next week he's going to be eating Bob <laughs> Cottle. No doubt about that. He's, he's going to have Bob Cottle filleted and eating him right out there on the middle of the stage. <laughs> It puts the lotion on the skin, Bob. <laughs> oh, you know, you never know what you're going to see in Smoky Mountain. I did not know we was going to see that. I had forgot about this promo. So, all right, end the show awards, guys. Uh, Soundbite of the week. Ooh, I nominate Dutch Mantel's plywood comment as the <laughs> soundbite of the week. Uh, you stole that, damn it. Anyway, uh, <laughs> Andy Justin agrees with me. Apparently, would you agree about the plywood comment? 
I like that comment, but the one that was kind of it, which it goes back to Jim Cornette, you know, it's kind of under underrated and kind of slipped under the radar a little bit. Was when Bob asked him, "What is two hundred and fifty kilos?" and he says, "Well, usually about fifteen to twenty years in prison." <laughs> I, I, they just caught me off guard, and I was like, "What the hell did he just say?" And I had to rewind it and watch it again. <laughs> that that is a good nomination. Uh, I guess Justin has to break the tie. So Justin, is it the cornet, uh, the cornet kilo comment, or or the plywood? It was a plywood for uh, sure. It, uh, it, it, it was either that or. Uh, yeah, Mantel saying he, you know he could swim under underwater for ten for, minutes. For ten minutes. Yeah. I, the, the, there's yeah, always going to be. Yeah. Okay. You can do that for ten minutes. Six minutes. You go brain dead. <laughs> and he's saying ten minutes. That idiot. Uh, he's great. He's great. All right. So um, most nineties sighting of the week. I nominate Jackie Fulton's shirt in episode one as the most nineties sighting of the week. <laughs> Uh, would you like to nominate anything else that sticks out? The one that stuck out to me was all the blonde-headed mullets. My God, it seemed like every other person that turned around was a Ric Flair wannabe. And I'm I'm sitting here thinking they they kept the peroxide business and you know making profits for the whole first of the nineties. Good point, uh, Justin. Most not yeah, exciting of the week. Yeah, it, it, that was that was on my list for sure. But I'll say the polka dot lady. Oh God! In the, in the second row, <laughs> Gorilla Deville. That was <laughs> Gorilla Monsoon's long lost. It looked sister. like she was half asleep too. She didn't give a damn what was going on. <laughs> she was looking for and that. She next... had the worst, the worst outfit I've ever seen, uh, even for the. 1991. Uh, it, so. it, it was not very flattering. It was white and red polka dots, and and she, she was looked she like very, a fem- she wasn't very cute female version of Gorilla Monsoon. Uh, not- <laughs> That's being generous, okay, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. It's, it was she. She was. I, she was looking for her next bucket of fried chicken. That's that's the only <laughs> thing she cared about. Maybe she was going to eat Bob Cole after the show. I don't know. Oh. Uh, okay, so what, 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 guys, promo of the week. What do you throw out as promo of the week, Andy? Uh, Cornet, the first Cornet uh, in the first show. Okay. By far the best, yeah. best promo. Not damn, even close. It's not even promo. close. Andy, hey, what do you have? Uh, you know, you know how cracked out I am. I, the Terry Gordy thing, man. That oh my god, the bombs are falling. Get down! They're coming to from Freedom, you know, Freebird Mountain down to Lost Space. To, it's a wonder they didn't ride Space Mountain on their way over there with Sullivan headed dudes running around. Uh, the, that was the most entertaining thing that I think I saw. But that just it, he was just <laughs> that was not the best. That was. Do you think he's a doomsday prepper? I don't know. He, I'm not sure what he was at that time. He was definitely. Uh, hey, this is the South. We're all doomsday preppers down here. <laughs> Have oh, you ever saw well. Andy's house? Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> you need to come down and visit Andy Waddell. He's a doomsday. He prepper. has. He has. A, he has a. Do you have a, I, a, a bunker, Andy? We call it a root cellar. Oh, okay. <laughs> Same concept. Okay, so I'll I'll actually go with Justin on this. My promo of the week was Cornette. Uh, that's first his blast, this shoot where he just laid it on out there that 
of how sick he is of the current wrestling product. I thought that was awesome. It was just a good promo. And I had it actually edging out Ron Wright's poor old crippled man promo. So Ron Wright, he's, he's going to stay. I'm sure he will get promo of the week several times before all is said and done in this, uh, fire in the mountain series. So yeah, I'm sure he will. Cause he, he's, I, I usually like the heels more, you know, well, I, well, I guess Cornette is too. So, yeah. Oh yeah. He's that de- he's definitely on the hillside. So match of the week guys. Uh, and when I say of the week, we're actually combining the two episodes. So my match of the week was Orndorff and Rogers episode two. Uh, not even close. Justin. Um, I'll say, uh, the scorpion versus that no neighbor only because of what it meant. I thought it was so funny. I, I, I didn't know that and know what it meant until you told me Ricky, but now that I saw it, you know, three times now. Yeah. It's fun. It's fun here in hell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that he was, that, you know, Cornette was clowning him. Clowning the the guy at WCW. Yeah, Jim Hurd. So, Andy, uh, what was your match of the week? I I'd had to go with uh, Orndorff, Orndorff and Rogers too because we're so used to seeing the perfectly sculpted six pack abs and going at it, and you're like, well, yeah, of course they can because you know they're in peak physical condition, and here these guys were just two bro, you know, broad shouldered dudes going at it, and they were still going like cruiserweights, and both of them over six foot, you know, just pounding down on each other. It, it was a great match. I thought Rip, I thought Rip Rogers was still in pretty good shape then. He had some guns on him to be. Uh... Yeah, he. he... And Did he get a push at all in the beginning? You know, going forward. Yeah, you'll you'll see a little bit of it. Uh, he he's okay. um, he's around a little while, I think. Uh, he actually gets a uh, he gets a better push in uh, in global. Well, not sure if he gets a better push in global or not. I think he is in global as part of the cartel, possibly. Um, I'm fuzzy on that one. Um, but uh, he, I love Rip Rogers, especially. <laughs> just oh, he's great. He's dude's he's a he's he's crazy yeah great he connects with the fans i mean he's yelling at the fans he's verbally assaulting them through the match he's verbally (laughs) assaulting orndorff i mean that's what you you don't see that anymore you don't see the guys talk to each other you talk smack i mean you're talking uh, smack right and that's why everybody loves wrestlers like that that they they can really engage the audience so that so orndorff rogers uh match of the week uh, also in my opinion. So, guys, we're done with uh, the first episode of Fire in the Mountains, uh, the Smoky Mountain series. We've got episode three and four, possibly. We I, we may go back to – we may scale it back to one episode a week or one episode a show. I'm not sure exactly what we're going to do. We're kind of discussing if we're going to do one or two, depending on our time and uh, and what's going on. But I think at least for the first few shows, why it's dragging a little bit, We'll try to just power through two episodes at a time for a, for just a little bit. So that's what you're probably going to be looking at here on uh, this on this series. So, uh, guys, any final thoughts on this uh, the debut show? Yeah, it's it's been a lot of fun, a lot more fun than I even thought it was going to be, and looking forward to it. Yeah, you know, the future. We're just all. trying to educate uh, Justin on on Southern. Yeah, I mean, and... that's true. Because I mean, this is all new to me. So yeah, it's awesome. 
He, he knows about wrestling. We're going to teach him about wrestling. Wrestling, yeah. As Ron Wright says, wrestling. Right. And as Terry Gordy says, he's, Justin's going to be on top of Freebird Mountain at the next episode. So we're going to have to pay good money to get him he, on top of Freebird Mountain, but bitch. we'll get him there. <laughs> uh, Andy, uh, <laughs> any, uh, any final thoughts before we uh, end this first episode? I forgot how much entertaining uh, Smoky Mountain wrestling actually was, you know, because like I say, this has been over 20 years ago. And uh, I catch myself now, I'm like wanting to go watch the third, fourth episode and get, you know, uh, the, my appetite's whetted and I want to go watch some more. So I encourage anybody interested in it, go and watch the episode and see what we're talking about. Yeah, and I hope you all can follow along right here with Ten us. more on that. I'll say that. Oh, yeah. And uh, all of our episodes are uploaded to soundcloud.com. I'll put the link out there. These shows are going to be uploaded on the uh, PWO message boards, um, Pro Wrestling Only. That's uh, the main place where I'm actually going. And and before I end this first show, I've just got to say personally, the reason that I got into this podcasting deal at all is last year I was looking up something for Starcade 88. I don't remember exactly what I was trying to find. And I found a link to a, a podcast where there's two guys reviewing podcast uh, reviewing Starcade 88. They had their own podcast. And it's uh, Chad Campbell and Parv. And uh, they have this series called Where the Big Boys Play, where they review all the old NWA shows, WCW. They're up to 1992 now. I thought, well, this has got to be a bunch of shit. I, honestly, I was like, how would this be fun to listen to? Really? I mean, they're talking about wrestling matches. Then I listened to it and I learned a lot and they had fun doing it and they were entertaining. And I'm like, man, this is, this is cool. So I listened to all their stuff and then it just got me on the PWO train on the P place to be nation. Those guys, I listened to the, I've listened to all their shows now. Titans of wrestling, the brain buster, my God, Chris Zellner with Exile on Bad Street, him and his guys. I thought I knew a lot about wrestling until I started listening to these dudes. They are they a whole new level, and it gives me a new appreciation for what kind of fans they actually are because they have the level of knowledge in wrestling that maybe we do because we do a show on NASCAR, and I think all three of us have that level of knowledge on NASCAR. And all these guys uh, on these shows have this level of knowledge on wrestling. And I, at my job is a desk job at work, uh, and I can listen to the radio all day. And, man, I just burn it up listening to these guys. They're, they're really good, and they inspired me to do this show. So um, I'm going to post this out on the PWO boards. I hope you all enjoy the show. If there's something you want us to change, if there's something you want us to expound on, let us know and we'll we'll try to tweak it a little bit because we do a NASCAR show. This is a little different for us. Uh, we like wrestling, but this is a different – we're stepping out on a different ledge than we're used to doing this kind of show. And I wanted this show to be informative and fun, and I want – just this is a show where Justin's going to be educated and me and Andy's going to rediscover. So um, I did want to – give a shout out to the guys that actually got me into this was mostly Chad Campbell and, uh, and par for their, where the big boys play. And then just when, when Chris Zellner started that exile on bad street, Oh my God, I was blown away by the level of knowledge. Some of these guys have, and I only hope to can bring you just a, a bit of knowledge and just 
entertainment that those guys can bring. I hope we can bring some of that to you and hope you continue listening to Fire on the Mountains as we cover Smoky Mountain Wrestling from beginning to the end. This way. Rain.